Welcome. Thanks for tuning to Impact. Our mission is to love, learn, and serve. And now, here's the message. God is good. All the time. The Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard told a story that many have called the parable of the duck. He tells a story about this town where only ducks live. And every Sunday morning, the ducks will waddle out of their homes and waddle down the main street of the town and waddle into the church building and waddle down the center aisle and sit down in the pews for church. And so, as the church service begins, the duck choir steps up and the duck choir sings a song or two and Then the duck pastor steps up and he reads from the duck Bible. And he gives an inspirational message and it goes something like this. Ducks, God has given you wings. With these wings you can fly. With these wings you can fly like birds. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings and you can rise up and soar like eagles. And all the ducks in the church building shout, Amen! And as the service ends, every single duck waddles home. Moral of the story, those ducks may have a whole lot of faith, but their faith is dead. Their faith is dead. This morning, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of James. I encourage you to pull out your Bibles and open to James chapter 2, verse 14. If you didn't bring your Bible with you today, I encourage you to bring one with you next time. Or if you don't own a Bible, uh, we can get you a New Testament. You can just see Patty after the service at the Welcome Center. She'll get you one to take home. We only have one rule for a free Bible. If we give you a free Bible, you got to read it. Amen? But uh, if you don't have one with you today, grab one of the blue Bibles from the rack in front of you. If you have grabbed one of those blue Bibles, you'll find James chapter 2 on page 1197 in one of those blue Bibles, page 1197. I also encourage you to take out those message notes. If you're sitting in an aisle seat, uh, go ahead and pass those message notes down to others in your row so they can fill in some blanks, jot down some notes along the way. This is a great way to allow God's Word to sink into your heart and be able to review it this week on your own. So uh, do pass those message notes down, have those Bibles in hand. I'm calling today's message, Autopsy of a Dead Faith. We'll be in James 2, starting in verse 14. If you're there, please say amen. Here we go, James 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself. If it is not accompanied by action, is dead. May God bless us as we study and, more importantly, apply His Word to our lives today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is Your day. And here we are in this place, O God, opening the Bible and studying Your Word. And Lord, James has been hitting us with some hard lessons as we've been making our way through these five chapters of the book of James. And Lord, today is no exception. There are some hard lessons that are not easy to hear. But Lord, I think all of us would agree we don't want to have a dead faith. 
So I pray that you would speak to us clearly. Help us to be honest with ourselves as you speak to us today. Help us to open our ears and listen to your word. And Lord, help us to live out your word as we leave this place a little bit later. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and say, it's going to be a good one today. And then tell them, but at the same time, it's not going to be an easy one. Go ahead. So here we are in James chapter 2. We'll finish the chapter here in the next few minutes, Lord willing. But remember the theme verse of the book of James. We learned about this about three weeks ago. James chapter 1 verse 4 is the theme verse of those, those five chapters in the book of James. James 1 4, remember, says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so from the very beginning of this book of James, James is making it clear that God's goal for us as Christians is to become mature and complete in our faith. In other words, God's goal is for us to become more and more like like Jesus, right? As he walked this earth, more and more like God, more and more like Jesus. So if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, God wants you to learn how to persevere through your trials like Jesus. We saw that early in chapter 1. We saw a little bit later in chapter 1, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, He wants you to be able to resist and stand up under temptation, just like Jesus did. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, He wants you to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, just like Jesus. He wants you to not just listen to God's Word, but actually do it, obey it, live it out, just like just like Jesus. And as James finishes chapter 2, he's going to make it clear to us that there are really more than one kind of faith out there. There's more than one kind of faith. James is going to make it clear here in the second half of chapter 2 that there are actually three kinds of faith. But only one of them is the kind of faith that you want to have. Only one of those three kinds of faith is one that will set you on the road to heaven. Now, let's go ahead and dive into that first kind of faith. The first kind of faith he reveals in verses 14 through 17, the verses we just read a few moments ago. And the first kind of faith is dead faith. The first kind of faith is dead faith. James begins verse 14 here by asking two questions. The first question, he asks, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but does not have any deeds? Now, the implied answer to that question is no good at all, right? That's the implied answer. What good is it if a man has faith but has no deeds? The implied answer is it doesn't do that man any good at all. If you believe something up here, you believe it in your head, but you don't live it out here, James is saying it's useless. It's useless faith. Question number two, also in verse 14, the second question he asks, can such faith save him? Once again, the the implied answer is no. Can such faith save him? No. James believes strongly that if a person claims to have faith in Christ, in other words, he believes that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God, He believes that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. He believes in heaven and hell. He believes that this book, the Bible, is God's word. He can believe it cover to cover up here, but if he doesn't live it out, it's meaningless. And that faith cannot save him. That's a little sobering for many. And in fact, at this point, 
many Christians over the centuries have really wrestled with the book of James, including Martin Luther, who was the founder of the Protestant Reformation. Most of you have heard the name Martin Luther. He was one of the leaders in the early movement of the church away from Catholicism. Martin Luther had been a part of the Catholic Church for many years, and he began to really, as he searched the Scriptures, come to the conclusion that what the Catholic Church was teaching in many ways was against the Bible. Martin Luther, especially in his studies in the book of Romans, came to the conclusion that salvation is only through faith. Salvation in Christ is never by works, but as he would say in Latin, it's sola fide, by faith alone. And so Martin Luther had come to those conclusions as he'd studied carefully the book of Romans, and those were appropriate conclusions to come to. And as he studied Paul's letters to the Galatians and to the Ephesians, they only reinforced his belief in sola fide. Because Galatians 2.16, for example, says, We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ. And not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Over in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, these are a couple verses that many of you are familiar with. Some of you have probably even memorized these verses. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So the bottom line is, Paul came to this conclusion that salvation is through faith alone and never by works. But James here in verses 14 through 17 of chapter 2 seems to be saying the exact opposite of what Paul was saying. And so who's right? Is James right in the book of James, or is Paul right in the books of Romans, Ephesians, and Galatians? And as you might guess, both Paul and James are right. Paul's theology perfectly coincides with James' theology. So how does that work? Well, the reason James seems to be saying the opposite of what Paul is saying is because when James is talking about faith, in these early verses that we just read. He's talking about a completely different kind of faith than Paul was. When Paul was talking about faith, he was talking about real faith. He was talking about real biblical faith, salvation faith. James is talking about a bogus kind of faith, a fake faith, a dead faith. Here in chapter 2, James is talking to Christians who are being seduced by a very dangerous heresy. The heresy that teaches that as long as we accept the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as long as we accept it intellectually in our heads, we're good to go. Even if we don't ever live it out for a single day. The believer who buys into this heresy says to himself, since we are saved through faith and not by works, then once my beliefs are right, I don't need to do any works, right? And against this dangerous false teaching, James says what he says here in chapter 2. James' questions in verse 14 really cut to the chase, don't they? He asks that first question, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? And then the second question, Can such faith save him? I think we'd all agree that it's really important to listen to God's Word, right? I think we'd all agree it's important to study God's Word and to know God's Word and to believe God's Word. Those are important, but... 
It's pointless if we don't live out what we're, le- what we're learning. A few examples. The Ten Commandments. You learn the Ten Commandments. You believe the Ten Commandments. Many of you even memorize the Ten Commandments. But if you don't live out the Ten Commandments, what's the point? Last week, in the early part of chapter 2, James was talking about the second most command in the uh, most important command in the whole Bible. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He called that the royal law of Scripture. In other words, everyone should be treated like royalty if you love everyone. Amen? And so that's wonderful to learn the second greatest command, to memorize the second greatest command, to believe the second greatest command. But what's the point if you don't live it out? There is no point if you don't live it out. It's useless to learn this book of James unless you're going to live out this book of James, right? So James says to us so plainly here in verses 14 through 17, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God, and you believe that He died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave on the third day, and you believe in heaven and hell, but those beliefs don't change the way that you live, then your faith is not real. Your faith is dead. It's dead faith. Now, if you really want to know if your faith is dead, let me suggest three things, three signs that your faith is dead. So consider each of these. Number one, here's the first sign that your faith may be dead today. You talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. You talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. In verses 15 and 16, James gives an example that is repeated in churches across America more often than we'd like to admit. A Christian brother walks into church, and he doesn't have a jacket on. He walked maybe a mile or two to church. He didn't have a vehicle, so he walks to church, and he's a little bit cold because he doesn't have a decent coat to wear in the wintertime. And brother after brother in that church will come up and say, it's good to see you today. God bless you. God bless you. And then they walk away. Now, what that Christian has just said to that man without the jacket is nice. God bless you is a nice thing to say. But it doesn't help the man. He's still going to walk home cold. Across America, it happens more times than we'd like to admit. A a Christian lady comes into the church and she happens to mention in a conversation that she's run out of her food stamps. And there's a week left in the month. She doesn't know where her food's going to come from. And, and a Christian brother or sister will say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, God bless you. I'll pray for you. And walks away. Well, that's a nice thing to say. That's a kind thing to say. I'll pray for you. That's nice, right? It's nice to show a little bit of sympathy with those words. But the lady's going to still be hungry all week if you don't do anything about it. And so James says, we say these nice things, we believe these nice things, but if we don't live out what God's Word is said to do, our faith is dead. Don't tell someone, I hope that it all works out for you, I'll pray for you. Do something if God has given you the ability to do something. The second sign that your faith may be a dead faith, your beliefs are biblical, but they don't stir your emotions. They don't stir your emotions. A believer with dead faith believes the lyrics and the praise songs are biblically sound and accurately describe Jesus. But those lyrics don't stir the heart of a believer with dead faith. Those lyrics don't move her spirit. The believers with dead faith 
attend church week in and week out and remain emotionally unmoved by what is sung and emotionally unmoved by the Word of God that is preached and emotionally unmoved by the ministry that is done in that church. There is no passion for Christ, no true excitement for Christ, no real love for Christ. If you have biblical beliefs in your head, but they rarely tap your emotions, it's a good chance your faith is dead. And then third, the third sign, your faith is compartmentalized. It's in your head, but it hasn't led to repentance and it hasn't changed your lifestyle. Jesus had made it clear that many believers will come to Him on the day of judgment and say to Him, Lord, Lord! Remember what Jesus said in response? He said, many will come to Me on that day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord! And He'll say, I never knew You. Because he said, when there were people around you in need, you didn't help them. When someone was hungry, you didn't give them food. When someone was thirsty, you didn't give them anything to drink. When someone was homeless, you didn't help take them in. When someone was a prisoner, you didn't go and visit them. When someone was sick, you didn't help take care of them. I actually came to you in distressing disguise as those individuals in need. I came myself and you rejected me time and time again. I never knew you. And Jesus says those sobering words on that day, I will say to many who call me Lord, Lord, away from me, you evildoers, to the place prepared for the devil and his angels. What a tragedy for those who think their faith is real. But it's only up here. And because it's up here, they're not going to make it to heaven. Warren Wearsby says it so well. He says, Beware of a mere intellectual faith. No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same. I love this example he gives. You can't remain the same any more than he can come into contact with a 220 volt wire and remain the same. Dead faith is not saving faith. Dead faith is counterfeit faith and lulls the person into a false confidence of eternal life. I wonder if there's anyone in this room today who has been lulled into a false confidence about eternal life. Because you believe up here that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. And because you said some prayer 20 years ago, you're all set. I wonder if you've been lulled into a false sense of eternal security when you haven't lived out that faith that you keep inside your head. That's the first type of faith. It's a counterfeit type of faith that James calls dead faith. The second type of faith that he talks about, he talks about in the next couple of verses, verses 18 and 19. Go ahead and see what he says there in those two verses. Starting in verse 18, he says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. The second type of faith, also a counterfeit type of faith, we can call demonic faith. Call it demonic faith. Not my words. James is the one that points out the demons here. 
I would guess that verse 19 is familiar to, to most of us. It's quoted a lot in Christian circles to make the point that real faith, saving faith, isn't something that can be quarantined inside your head. If you have a quarantined faith and you keep it all bottled up in here and it, it doesn't invade your heart, it doesn't invade your hands, it doesn't invade your, your feet, it doesn't invade your choices, it doesn't invade your lifestyle, it doesn't invade the, the way you spend your money, the way you prioritize your finances. If it's all up here compartmentalized, it's not real faith. So James says here, there's a second type of faith, and it's demonic faith. If you believe that there is one God and that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God, that's great. But never forget, the devil believes those things too. He believes those things too. You believe that God created the whole universe. You believe the Old and New Testaments. You believe in heaven and hell and in angels and demons. That's wonderful, but so does Satan. So does Satan, and he's not exactly a born-again man of faith, is he? I don't think so. So what exactly is demonic faith, and how does demonic faith differ from dead faith? Good question. So glad you asked. Notice what James writes at the end of verse 19. The demons believe that there is one God, and even they shudder. What does that word shudder mean? Well, that word shudder can also be translated as tremble. So the, the demons believe there's one God and it causes them to tremble. Uh, another way to say that is it causes, causes them to shake in fear. And so wrap your minds around this for a moment. The demons believe that there is one God. They believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They believe in the whole Bible from cover to cover. They believe in angels and demons because they are demons. They believe in heaven and hell. They believe all of this stuff. And it causes them to tremble in fear. So, catch this. James is not just saying that demons believe in God in their heads. He's saying that those beliefs stir their emotions. They believe the truth about God, and that truth scares them to death. Therefore, demonic faith is a faith that engages both our minds and our hearts, but it's still not real biblical faith because it's not lived out. See the difference? Dead faith is just in your head. Demonic faith, it goes from your head to your emotions. It stirs your emotions, but it's still not a faith that is lived out. 2 Corinthians 11.14 is a great verse. It says, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And from what James says here in chapter 2, it's similarly true that demonic faith is dangerous because it masquerades as real faith. Demonic faith masquerades as real faith. Think about the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. A rich young man came to Jesus and he knew the Ten Commandments. He believed the Ten Commandments. He thought he was all that in a pocket of change because he knew them all backwards and forwards. And he comes to Jesus and, and Jesus makes it clear, in your case, you need to go home, sell everything you've got, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. And remember, the man went away sad because he had a lot of dough. And he didn't do, want to do what Jesus told him to do, to come follow Jesus. And so that was an example of a man who had it up here, and he was emotionally pulled by what Jesus was telling him, but he did not change his life in one iota once he had that interaction with Jesus. He went home that day doing the same thing that he'd done before he ever came to Jesus. That was demonic faith. And I bet if you had surveyed everyone in Israel who knew this guy back then, Probably everyone in Israel said, oh yeah, he's going to heaven for sure because he knows his Ten Commandments. 
He knows them backward and forward. He knows the Old Testament law. He knows the Word. He believes them. More than anyone I've ever met, he believes them. And he's passionate about them. But little would they know that he wasn't going to heaven because he didn't live out what Jesus Christ had called him to live out. It was all here and in his emotions. Hmm. It's at this point we have to ask ourselves honestly, is my faith in Christ a demonic faith? Now, it's hard to say. It's hard to hear. But we have to ask ourselves, is my faith a, a, a demonic-like faith? Are my beliefs right and my emotions right while the life that I live is all wrong? Shouting amen during a Sunday morning sermon doesn't prove that you're saved. Enthusiastic singing during the praise time doesn't guarantee that your faith is real. Tears of joy or sorrow during a time of prayer don't guarantee that you're going to leave this place any different than you came. The devil and his demons have excellent theology. And they can get pretty emotional about it, but they're not going to heaven. Over the years that I've been a pastor, I've enjoyed the opportunities God has given me to give some dating advice to young girls and boys, young men and women. Once in a while, God gives me those opportunities. And when I have an opportunity to speak with a group of young ladies or a group of young men, I like to remind them that it's so important when you choose that life mate, when you choose that future husband, when you choose that future wife, make sure that you guys are on the same page spiritually. And so what we find happening so often is, girls especially, I especially like to share this message with young ladies, when they finally find a boyfriend who believes in God and believes in Jesus Christ, those young Christian ladies think they hit the jackpot. And sometimes I come along and I burst their bubble. Because I let them know that it's not just about believing in Jesus. It's not just about believing in Jesus. Because Satan believes in Jesus and I certainly wouldn't recommend that you date him. Right? And so often young ladies find themselves marrying a man that, oh, he believes in Jesus, but he's sitting on his butt every single Sunday, has no desire to go to church, he has no desire to give back to the Lord, he has no desire to serve the Lord, he has no desire to read the Word of God, he has no desire to worship, he has no desire to do any of these things because it's here, and once in a while, maybe ten years ago, it touched him here, but he doesn't live it, it's not real, it's not a priority, it's not part of his values. And so I love to tell young people, please, don't just make sure he has the same beliefs that you have. Make sure that it means enough to him that he lives it out. That it's real faith. It's real value. Real priority. If you are serious about living out your faith, young men and women, make sure that anyone you date is serious about living out their faith too. Because it's not just about what's up here. It's not even about just what's in here. Do you live it out? And then, James, starting in verse 20, talks about that third and final kind of faith. This is the one we all desire. Hopefully you desire it. Starting in verse 20, he says, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. 
And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The third type of faith is real biblical faith. John Calvin hundreds of years ago, I think, explained real biblical faith so well. He said it this way, People are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Isn't that good? That helps summarize what James is saying here in this passage. People are saved, they're justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. You see, works can never save you. I could preach ten sermons a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. For the rest of my life, it wouldn't get me a step closer to heaven. I could give all my money to the poor. It wouldn't get me a step closer to heaven. My works can never save me because my sin keeps me from God. Saving faith is what saves us by the grace of God. Amen? Faith alone can save. But that kind of saving faith is never alone. You see, works can never save you, but neither can inactive faith. Real biblical faith works. Hence the name of this series in the book of James. Faith works. True saving faith leads to action. Abraham's a great example of this. He believed God, and then he acted on that belief by obeying God. Rahab, he gives us another great example. She believed God, and then she acted on that belief by living out her faith. And so it boils down to this. There are three kinds of faith. Number one is dead faith. It touches only your mind. Number two is demonic faith. It touches both your mind and your emotions. And three, number three is real biblical faith, which involves the whole person, mind, heart, spirit, and body. Warren Wearsby in his commentary encourages us to ask some soul-searching questions. And as he's talking about James 2, he writes these words. He says, It's important that each professing Christian examine his own heart and life and make sure that he possesses true saving faith, dynamic faith. Examine yourselves, it says in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Here are some questions we can ask ourselves as we examine our hearts. Number one, was there a time when I honestly realized I was a sinner and admitted this to myself and to God? Number two, was there a time when my heart stirred me to flee from the wrath to come? Have I ever seriously been alarmed over my sins? Number three, do I truly understand the gospel? That Christ died for my sins and rose again. Do I understand and confess that I cannot save myself? Number four, did I sincerely repent of my sins and turn from them? Or do I secretly love sin and want to enjoy it? Number five, have I trusted Christ and Christ alone for my salvation? Do I enjoy a living relationship with Him through His Word and in the Spirit? Number six, this one's so important, has there been a change in my life? Do I maintain good works or are my works occasional and weak 
Do I seek to grow in the things of the Lord? Can others tell that I have been with Jesus? Can people see a difference in you? Number seven, do I have a desire to share Christ with others or am I ashamed of Him? Number eight, do I enjoy the fellowship of God's people? Is worship a delight to me? And finally, number nine, am I ready for the Lord's return or will I be ashamed when He comes for me? Wearsby closes his commentary by saying these words, To be sure, not every Christian has the same personal experience. And there are degrees of God moving us toward maturity. But for the most part, these questions I've just asked can assist a person in determining his true standing before God. Just like David in Psalm 139 said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, you have not been in duck church today. God has given you free choice. And you have heard what God's Word says in James chapter 2. Search and see if your faith is real. Does what you believe up here lead to some emotions in here? Are your emotions in any way stirred by anything that took place in here today? If not, you need to have some serious conversations today with the Lord. Or maybe your emotions are stirred, but you're going to waddle right back to your car and get out of your car in your driveway and waddle back into your house just as you came this morning. Unmoved and unchanged. Because your faith is not real. Important questions to ask. Does God's Word stir my heart? If it does, obey it. Do it. Live it. Because real faith, biblical faith, saving faith, always, always works. If it's real faith, it'll be lived out. If it's real faith, you won't just memorize God's rules for you. You'll obey Him. If it's real faith, God will transform your life in ways even your critics will be able to see. And I can guarantee you that anything you sacrifice for Jesus faith, Jesus Christ by living out a real faith, you'll get to the end of your life and you'll look back on it and say, it was so, so worth it. God will make sure that anything that you sacrifice for Him, anything that you do for Him, as He says, even if you give a cup of cold water to a little child in Jesus' name, even that won't escape God. And He will make sure that you're blessed and rewarded accordingly. Real faith is the only kind of faith worth having. Let's make sure that we're not playing games with God and playing games with ourselves. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for this challenging Word. And Lord, I know some of us here Lord, we don't have our hearts stirred like they used to be stirred. Some of us here, Lord, have a real faith. We, we truly did accept You years ago as Lord and Savior. But if we're honest with ourselves, God, our, our emotions aren't stirred like they used to be. Eh, another good sermon. 
That was nice. Eh, another good worship song. Okay, another testimony. Another good ministry. Some of us, Lord, have real faith, but our faith today feels a bit dead. It feels a bit dead. Lord, some of us here today are just going through the motions. And as you've spoken to us this morning, you've said, stop going through the motions. Let the truth of God's Word that you believe in your mind affect your heart. Lord, some of us have become a little stale in our faith. Some of us have become a little callous. I just pray right now in this moment, oh God, that you and in your special way just start chipping away that hardness from my heart and from any of our hearts, oh God. Chip away the calluses. Chip away the hardness. God, give us a heart of flesh, a heart that is soft and able to receive your word and celebrate and weep over your word if necessary. Lord, give us some emotion. Give us some passion. Give us some fire for you. And I pray that even if we get that fire, we still wouldn't just waddle home. But that our lives would be changed. That we would truly live out your faith. Even if we're in a valley right now, what may we live it out, Jesus. May we live it out. I'm going to ask right now if there's anyone here today, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are still closed, if there's anyone here today and you know you made a sincere decision to accept Christ maybe a month ago, maybe 30 years ago. You know you made a sincere decision. You know it was real faith. But the truth is you're feeling really stale in your faith right now. Your faith isn't growing. You're stagnant. I want to pray for you right now. If you just want to lift your hand, say, would you pray for me, Dane? I see those hands. Any others? I'm a little bit stale. I know I'd go to heaven, but you know what? My faith feels kind of dead right now. See those hands. I'll pray for you. Amen. Any others? Lord, I lift up those whose hands are in the air, God. And we, we, we don't presume that our faith journey is consistent every single day and every single year. Sometimes we'll grow faster in a short amount of time than others, God, but it's hard when we feel like we're up against a wall. Maybe some here that just raise their hands feel like their prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I don't know, but you know. Would you set their hearts on fire for you? Would you restore the joy of their salvation? I pray that they would come to you right now and say, Oh God, search my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Help me to live out my faith in my home. Help me to live out my faith in my workplace. Help me to live out my faith at my school. Help me to live out my faith when I'm at church. Because here even I feel like oftentimes I'm going through the motions. God, would you do your work in those hearts and in those lives. May our faith be real and lived out. As our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're here today and you realize that your faith is dead, and if you died today, you would not go to heaven. Because now you understand it's not just about what you believe in your head. It's not just about believing the truth about Jesus. It's about living out the truth about Jesus. And I ask that you raise your hand as well if you today... Not sure you would make it to heaven because you know what? It's all head and no heart. It's all head and no life. See those hands. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Let me pray for you, God. 
As a wise Christian once said, the hardest and longest distance to travel is 18 inches, the distance between our heads and our hearts. I pray, O God, that you would help each person who's raised their hand right now, Lord, that you would take that belief they have in their head and that you would just impregnate their heart with that truth and with that belief. Penetrate their heart with that truth. And as their heart is penetrated with the truth and it stirs their emotions, God, more importantly, may it stir and direct their lives. I pray, O God, that they would come to you humbly right now and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Please make me new. I give you my life. And I'm not just making some intellectual decision right now and and I'm going to turn around and waddle back home and do what I was doing before. I am giving you my life. I'm not asking you to ride shotgun. I'm asking you to take the driver's seat, to take the wheel of my life. I pray that in each person's life that raised their hand, Lord, you would do just that. Take the wheel. Pray, O God, that we would serve You. We would obey You. That we would follow You. That we would do Your Word. Live Your Word every day of our lives. Until You call us home. In Jesus' name. We hope you'll be blessed by this sermon from Impact Christian Church. Please visit our website at greaterimpact.cc. God bless.